I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. I'll tell you, some weeks I have it all together. Some weeks I know precisely who I'm going to talk to and when I'm going to do it and what we're going to talk about. And uh, it's pretty clear. Uh, It's planned out on the calendar in advance and all is right with the world. And, uh, and some weeks it's, (laughs) it's not. Some weeks we rely really heavily on the grace of God uh, to provide us with what, what I need to talk about with what maybe with maybe what you need to hear with who I need to talk to. And this has been one of those weeks. Uh, it's been a, a little bit of a rough week for me. Um, last week, if you listen to the show, uh, and you should, right? But last week, if you listen to the show, we talked about my friend, um, Andrew Deaver, who passed away six years ago. Uh, he was very, uh, bears a lot of responsibility for me being in the church. Uh, and so his, the, the anniversary of his death is just uh, a couple of days before my birthday. And of course, this is the year that I turned almost 40, like really much closer. I've begun my 40th circle around the sun. Uh, and so, you know, they say that age is just a construct and you're only as old as you feel and that really you shouldn't get down about your birthdays. And I, and I, I don't think that I do, but, but uh, you know, um, there's, this has been a hard year. And maybe it's because we've moved twice. Uh, maybe it's because we're in a new place. You know, I don't, have, uh, the, I don't have a whole lot of network here yet. Uh, so I can't just call people up and say, hey, uh, I have some scotch with your name on it. Why don't you come over and we'll... Uh, we'll have some some fun time together, right? We'll uh, we'll play a, a board game, and that's what I do for my birthdays. By the way, I I play board games and drink scotch, um, and so. But I don't have that. I don't have that uh, network here, uh, and so that's been a little bit of a difficult thing. Uh, and then you know we're we're doing the entrepreneurial thing, which means that we do not have steady income whatsoever. So you can't really go out and splurge on a birthday present. A couple of my friends did take me up on my, uh, I put up a blog. I said, Hey, it's my birthday. Share the love. And I put a couple of donate buttons, right? And a couple of my friends, uh, came through, uh, not only that one of my, one of my longtime friends came through and, uh, I, I don't get to talk to this friend very often. Gina Clark, I'm looking at you. Um, and you know, we've, we've, uh, we went to college together. We went to seminary together. We, uh, just have a very, one of those friendships you can kind of pick up at any time. Uh, and it, she, she was involved in graphic design. I was involved in graphic design. We had this little uh, competition between the two of us, a friendly competition that, that really, I think, is responsible for making both of us decent at what we do. Uh, and so she, she came through. She, she sent me a surprise gift, and that was uh, a joyous thing. Thank you, Gina. Uh, and then a couple of uh, a couple of other people just stepped up that I know through work, through um, one of our fellow show hosts, Sonia Corbett, uh, the Bible Study Evangelista. She's got a show on Saturdays on the Breadbox Media Network. And then uh, and then one of my friends of the show, uh, he he stepped up and sent a little present that was just a shock and surprise. And so there, there was, there were joyful moments and I, uh, I appreciate that. Speaking of, uh, what is a friend of the show? 
Well, let me tell you. A friend of the show is uh, a person who loves this show so much and listens to it. And uh, once more, what, what more could there be? Well, uh, there are specialty videos. There are uh, some of which are quite funny. Uh, and others you're like, really? I, I paid to be in a membership for this? Yes, you did. Yes, that $10 a month to the friends of the show will make you eligible for specialty content available only to my friends of the show. It will also make available to you, I'm sitting here and I've got a stack of books from publishers, a um, couple from uh, Ignatius. I've got uh, Who Designed the Designer. I've got uh, from Catholic Answers, The Essential Catholic Survival Guide. Got a By What Authority by Mark Shea. He's one of our other um, other hosts here on Breadbox Media. I've got a book by Patrick Madrid, Life Lessons, 50 Things I Learned in My First 50 Years. I've got The Protestant's Dilemma. I've got The Father's No Best, Jimmy Aiken. Great resource there. Uh, and, and much, 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 much more. And this stack of books is waiting to be given away to someone of my friends of the show. And so all you have to do to become a friend of the show is go over to my website, OutsideTheWalls.com. You're there, right on the front page. You're going to see a button that says become a friend of the show. You type in a little bit of information. You, uh, you, f- you scroll down through all the lists of show hosts. You pass everybody up until you get to my name, Timothy Putnam. You click on that. And then for a minimum of $10 a month, you're enrolled in the friends of the show of this show outside the walls. And you become eligible for all that exclusive content and these books. Uh, and you, you rest well, knowing that you have helped put food on my children's table. Uh, because like I said, we are doing that entrepreneurial thing. And so uh, I don't have that. They say, don't quit your day job. It is too late for that, buddy. Uh, I have. I've done that. We're, we're in doing this all the time and helping other people do this as well through Breadbox Media. So become a friend of the show. Uh, if you're listening on podcast, make sure you go download that Breadbox Media app. There's lots of other great show hosts. Make sure you show it to your friends. And if you do that, you're also helping me. So I, I appreciate all the listeners out there. But I was saying we were back to the birthday. I put up a blog on my Patheos network talking about this, this birthday, saying, hey, share the love. Put up a couple of buttons. Got a friend of the show out of it. Excellent. Got a couple of... Uh, of, of gifts, which I am grateful for. In fact, one of the things I bought, I bought a little, um, I bought a studio toy. I did uh, I, to make studio life much, much easier. Uh, and so that's, that's coming in the mail. Thank you, all of those who contributed. Now, if you didn't get a chance to, and you're thinking, oh, he had a bad birthday. It wasn't a bad birthday. It just, there was definitely some somber moments. Um, and I'll get to a little bit more of that in a second. But if, you, if, you're, if you're feeling specifically uh, a, a little bit of empathy, that blog post is still up and those links are still there. Uh, and you can contribute that way by becoming a friend of the show. Or there's also just a, a PayPal link if you don't want to get involved in the monthly thing. That's okay. You can still get me a birthday present, right? So, uh, then I woke up and of course it was also difficult because, uh, my grandmother, uh, on my, my paternal grandmother, uh, was in, uh, hospice and, and has been, uh, doing poorly. And everyone really expected that she would pass on my birthday. Of course that, that was extra stress. 
Uh, she did not. She passed away the morning after. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we called her Nana. She was my Nana. And she had, uh, you know, I've got six kids. And she had eight boys in a row and two girls at the end. So 10 kids, uh, that's perseverance for you. And there's a, a story that is, at least it's told as true uh, in the family that she had her eight boys in a row and that as she was in the hospital uh, with her ninth child, delivering her ninth child, the conditions were overcrowded. And for some reason she was out uh, in a hallway. She was, I think, in a hallway or somewhere where you would not expect someone to be who had just given birth. And it's uh, exceptionally hot where they were and humid. And they came up to her and said, uh, Mrs. Putnam, you have a beautiful baby girl. And she said, this is no time for jokes, right? Uh, and so, and I could, I could totally picture, uh, picture her saying that, but, uh, we called her Nana, uh, my oldest brother named her. And the, the story that was told to me, whether this is true or not, is it because he liked her banana pudding. Uh, and so he called her Nana. I don't know that that's true, but that's what we have been told. Uh, and so, uh, on the day that she passed, uh, my wife made for dinner, uh, my grandmother's signature, banana pudding for dessert. Uh, and it's been, you know, it's difficult anytime you lose someone who has been sick for a while. Uh, we just experienced it recently. If you've been listening for a while, uh, my, my wife's father passed away from Alzheimer's. Uh, and my grandmother passed away from a condition in her lungs that had been going on for a while. And so there is this sense of, um, relief for them. Um, because life is so painful. Uh, but there's also this great, great sadness because of the dignity of every human person. And uh, I would say that both of, both of those, my, my father-in-law and my grandmother, uh, died with true dignity, not a false dignity that says, oh, well, we, we just don't want you to experience pain, uh, but a true dignity that recognized uh, the dignity of who they were, body, soul, and uh, spirit. This brings me to another point that this is, I'm telling you, this is a random show today. We watched, uh, last week we watched the Netflix, because we've cut cable, we watched the Netflix adaptation of The Little Prince, and I'd never read it, I'd never seen it. And my wife is posting on my blog a little thing about uh, this, but we were really quite shocked at the way that they treated uh, death as somehow almost a Gnostic kind of release from the body rather than recognizing the dignity of the whole human person, including the body. Go over to that blog on the Pathios Network. You can get to it by going to my website, outsidethewalls.com and clicking blog. Maybe that's a book you love. Well, you're going to want to comment on that blog. Uh, maybe you've never heard of it before. Before you watch the movie on Netflix, go over and read that review. We're going to come right back, and we're going to change gears. We're going to talk with Joe Heschmeyer, a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, about his experience at World Youth Day. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
Thanks for sticking through the break. Oh, we're here today talking with Joe Heschmeyer, one of my favorite guests. Uh, you've heard him before. And if you haven't, well, good news. I've got all the archives up. You can go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click on the episode archives, and just search through to your heart's content. Uh, Joe is a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, uh, and is currently, well, currently he's actually in the States, which is a rare thing, but he's been studying at the North American College in Rome. Uh, and we are talking to him specifically uh, regarding his World Youth Day experience. So most recently he was in Poland, uh, but somehow made his way safely back over the pond. Joe, thanks for being on the show today. Glad to be here. So I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, this World Youth Day experience that you had, uh, partly because I I spent time in Poland before I was Catholic, uh, back, gosh, 1996, I went with my high school, uh, Christian high school, for a senior trip, and we spent time in Poland, Russia, and Ukraine. And I didn't really fully understand it at the time, and I think part of it we assumed was because we spent time in Russia and Ukraine as well. Uh, but our time in Poland, we felt such amazing amounts of peace in that country that we didn't experience anywhere else. And and uh, I didn't understand any of the the history of uh, of the saints that are there, of the the revolution that came through Saint Pope John Paul II uh, at that time. But there was just very definitely, even to my Protestant uh, mind, uh, my Protestant understanding, you could sense the peace of God in that place. So let's talk a little bit about um, World Youth Day in in general. Uh, what is it? Where did it come from? Speaking of St. Pope John Paul II, uh, what's the purpose of it? And then we'll get into the specifics of your trip. Okay. So, yeah, my archbishop likes to tell a story, actually, about uh, George Weigel bringing a Christmas gift to Pope John Paul II. It was a, a tabletop book of national parks. And the pope opened the book, and he flipped through, and, and he noticed Denver. And he pointed to it. He said, World Youth Day. You know, the American bishop said it could never happen. And his point was that this was a really unlikely kind of event. You know, it was the pope calling for a, a giant meeting of just hundreds of thousands or more young Catholics to get together as a big religious meeting, basically. The, the pope would just meet with hundreds of thousands or even millions of Catholics, and they would pray together with Catholics from all around the world. It was an incredible kind of revolutionary idea. And I think a lot of people at the time thought it would never work. It would be either um, too irreverent with all of the young people around. It would just be a logistical nightmare to coordinate people from all over the world. But we've seen that the World Youth Days from Denver on have been just spectacular. They've been a, a real opportunity for Catholics to get to see the universality of the church, uh, for them to get to see the vibrancy and orthodoxy of young Catholics, and for them to get to this counter with the uh, the church Catholic, both with Catholics from all over the world, and in a special way with the, the vicar of Christ, the bishop of Rome. You know, I had a, an experience uh, in September. I took some pilgrims not too far away, just down to Philadelphia for the World Meeting of Families, which it's a different kind of thing, but it's still this idea of seeing the universality of, of our faith, seeing uh, a number of people from all over, uh, and just a huge mass of people. 
Now, uh, in, in more ways than one, right? Because you have mass, uh, but then also just the number of people that are there. And, and I want to bring something up because uh, you experienced this as well. What I was shocked by uh, is that in the midst of there being a million Catholics from everywhere, I kept running into people I knew. Yeah, I had that exact experience. I'm sitting here going, we're in the middle of a town that I've never been in in my life, surrounded by millions of Catholics from all over the world coming here, and they're converging on all the shrines and all the various places. And somehow, in this mass of people, you're leaving the building when I'm walking up. What are the, what are the chances that something like this happens? Talk about your experiences uh, of that same regard. Oh, it was an incredible experience in this way. So, as you mentioned, I, I go to the North American College in Rome. And so I'm there with Catholics from all over the U.S. And um, the new men, the men between their first and second year of theology, typically don't go back home to the United States. And so they've been kind of spread out all across the globe. And a lot of them went to World Youth Day. And I was amazed at the number of times where I would just run into random uh, seminary classmates, you know, on buses or in the street or just all over the city. And as, as you mentioned, there's a million to two million Catholic pilgrims who showed up. And so the idea of just bumping into classmates just seemed, uh, you know, the, the odds were spectacular. And mm-hmm. several other people where, you know, it was someone I knew from high school, all of these sorts of events where, you know, you just see people, it was like a Catholic reunion. So I want to talk specifically about one instance uh, that you, you recounted in your blog. Your blog you blog over at shamelesspopery.com. Uh, you were talking about the s- six specific graces you received by participating in World Youth Day. And there's one involving a detour. Why don't you recount that story for us? All right. So uh, there's a little bit of backstory to it. So if you're not familiar with the way World Youth Day is set up, it all builds up, the whole week builds up towards the World Youth Day itself, which begins with a vigil, and then you stay overnight, and then in the morning you have Mass with the Pope. Well, we had gotten spots uh, near where the papal route was kind of coming through, so it wasn't a very good spot to see, but the Pope Mobile was going right by where we were. And this meant that there was kind of a glut of other pilgrims who were, you know, kind of pushing up against, and, and they Meantime, you know, it was a kind of a good opportunity to get to meet people from other countries and other groups. So I ended up having a conversation with this young woman named Angela, who was a 19-year-old from Germany. And she was she was moved almost to tears just telling me about how, uh, what a powerful encounter it was for her. You know, living in rural Germany, she said she often feels like the only person of her age range who, who still believes in or cares about God. And so she said, looking around here, seeing 600,000 Catholics who are, you know, my age and who care about God, she said, it just makes me want to cry. Um, and it was, it was just a very beautiful kind of profound encounter. And it was indicative of the sorts of encounters we've been having all weekend. Well, that's a little bit of backstory. It'll, it'll make sense in a minute here. Um, but I was with one of the other seminarians and two of the religious sisters. And uh, we, you know, sort of, we'd done the whole World Youth Day thing. We were sort of pilgrimed out by the end of the week. So... Once the, the papal mass is ended, we think, okay, let's try to uh, beat the crowd. So you've got you know nearly two million people who are all going west from Polonia Field, where the mass is several miles to Krakow, and every, you know the roads are just packed with people that are just you know they're moving back, and it's raining, and when it's not raining, it's hot, so you're kind of putting on ponchos and taking them off, and everyone's carrying backpacks. 
and we're exhausted and, you know, people have blisters and it's just, it's a very, it was an amazing week, but it was also an exhausting week, especially the last couple of days. Um, and so we thought, okay, why don't we just go south? You know, you got this big mass of people moving west. Why don't we go south and try to get around the crowd, get a, a train or a cab or a bus, because transportation is very cheap there. Uh, get something to just kind of beat the crowd. So we leave. The mass ends about noon. We get out of there. We probably don't leave until about one or so. We go south to the train station. It's a little after two, and, and there was a scheduled two o'clock train. And it looks like we just missed it, and the next one isn't until three. So we just keep going south. And the poles that we talked to just say, oh, yeah, just a couple more kilometers, and you'll run into a train station or a bus stop or a taxi stand. So we keep doing that. And we keep finding two things. One, um, they tended to underestimate how far things were. And two, <laughs> everywhere we went was just packed, just tons of people. And so we're just going and going and going. And, you know, we, we wait for a while at these bus stations and the buses are so full, you can't fit another person on them. The cabs are all reserved or, or full. And the buses are, are and the trains are, are also out of the question. So... We just keep moving south. So finally, it's a little after four o'clock. We've been heading south for about three hours. Now, mind you, we're trying to get west. Like we are not closer than we started three hours before. Right. And we're starting to have this question of like, what are we doing? Like this isn't a shortcut at all. And <laughs> one of the religious sisters had actually said a prayer uh, saying, you know, Mary, send us a cab. <laughs> she was quietly like, why isn't this happening? And, and she's, sort of praying, like, what is what is the meaning of all this, Lord? Like, show us why is this happening to us. So a little after four, it gets ready to rain again. And so the sky is kind of overcast and ominous. But it, it looks beautiful over this valley. Uh, so you've got these houses and just, like, the way that the sky looks and everything turns very kind of verdant green. So I stop to take a picture. And while we stop, um, one of the sisters notices a religious sister of this community, the Little Sisters of the Lamb, that their American headquarters is in the U.S. in Kansas City, and uh, we know these sisters pretty well. So <laughs> she notices one of them off in the distance, and so we we yell for her, and she she hurries over. Uh, Sister Benedetta is is her name, so she recognizes us right away. You know, she asked me how Rome is. Nicholas, the other seminarian, she asked him how he's doing in seminary, and we get to talking. And then she says, earlier in the week, so on Tuesday, your community came to the Little Sisters of the Lamb Monastery, like your pilgrimage group did. But I wasn't able to join you because I was with this group of 550 French pilgrims. So I said a prayer that we would run into each other. And at this point, the light just comes on and we think, ah, we walked three hours out of our way because she said a prayer that we would bump into one another. You need to ask her to pray for you about everything because apparently God answers her prayers. <laughs> We'll be right back after this. We're talking with Joey Heschmeyer, seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, uh, about his experience over at World Youth Day. Why don't you come over to our social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. And tell me about a time where a coincidence was probably more than a coincidence. I'm sure you've got one just popping to mind right now. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Oh, glad you stuck through the break. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer, seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, and we're talking about his experiences at World Youth Day. Just finished up a story uh, about a a three-hour detour because of the prayers of a religious sister. And this is where I want to say to you, it may seem crazy. It, it may not fit with your understanding of the world. But if you have a prayer need, if, you, if something's just really bothering you and you're doing your best to pray and you don't think that God is hearing you or you want someone else to pray for you, it's, it's well and good to go to the friends and the people that you know in your parish. That's perfect. Not a problem. Uh, get everyone you know to pray for you. But while you're at it, contact a religious order, uh, specifically uh, a, a religious, well, really any religious order, but those, those orders that have dedicated themselves entirely to prayer and live a cloistered life, by all means, try it. Try it. Don't laugh at it until you try it. Send them an email. Yes, yes, monks and nuns have email. Uh, send the order an email uh, and give them your prayer request and just watch what happens when these people who have devoted their lives to pray, pray for you. So we're talking again with Joe Heschmeyer. Fascinating story. Uh, and you, you can find it either by going to the archives, if you missed it, if you weren't here on time. Go to the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com or you can go over to his blog, ShamelessPopery.com, and he recounts that story there as well. Uh, I want to move on a little bit because there's something you mentioned at the beginning of our interview here, and there's something in your article that I, I want to address, and that's this picture of the universality of our faith. Uh, I grew up in the Protestant church. Uh, my my father was Protestant clergy. I grew up in a house of, of uncles and grandparents who were clergy. Uh, and so I always was around the faith. I grew up in a very theologically-minded home. Um, but when I became Catholic, something that I noticed almost instantly, shortly after I became Catholic is when things really started ratcheting up in the persecution of uh, Catholics in Nigeria. And I remember reading the news one day and having this revelation, this is my family. These are my people. And all of a sudden, it wasn't this far-off conflict out in the middle of Africa. It was conflict that was happening uh, to people near and dear to my heart, and it affected me as distant as I was. You had a similar experience. So talk a little bit uh, about your experience there at World Youth Day and maybe break it out uh, a little bit further than that just to the wider principle as well. Yeah, you know, um, St. Paul says that when one part of the body suffers, all parts of the body suffer. And that's the thing that I don't think we take very seriously. I mean, we might take it seriously with, like, close friends and family. But the idea of the suffering of Christians in Nigeria, in the Middle East, in China, around the world, is something that we should be pained by if we're in true communion with them. Is a thing that I don't think we, we give a lot of weight or thought to. Um, so I, I had kind of a twofold encounter with this. One more theoretical maybe, and one just kind of a very incarnational encounter. So the English language group had mass um, on the days that weren't the big papal mass. We would have mass by language groups. So they're, they're beautiful English language masses. And then afterwards, they would break out into small group sessions. And so you, they were optional lunchtime talks, but the, the talks were very good. And one of them was on persecuted Christians in the Middle East. There was a young Middle Eastern American lawyer who had helped get the, uh, the British House of Commons to declare what was going on to the Christians 
in religious minorities in the Middle East declared a genocide. And it was a unanimous vote after a previous attempt at a vote had failed in the House of Lords. So she just kind of talked about the power of prayer and the need to be concerned about the persecution of Christians in the Middle East. Well, at the opening mass on Thursday, I believe it was, um, our group ends up right in front of the, a big group of Iraqi Christians. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful seeing, you know, their priests and religious and just young men and women who were so happy to be there. And, you know, they're waving the Iraqi flag, cheering for the Pope, and just like jumping up and down and, and singing songs. And they were so joyful. And it was such a beautiful encounter. Um, I took a quick video and I asked one of them like, if I could take a picture of the Iraq uh, World Youth Day shirt. And so one of the girls gave me a, an Iraqi keychain, and then they were just they were just very joyful, and they were very happy um, both to be there and to have this encounter. Um, it wasn't like some sort of awkward, oh, you know, you Americans made this situation worse. There, there was nothing of that. It was mm-hmm. it was just a really authentic encounter, very beautiful, and it's, it's been something that I think has uh, stuck with me afterwards. Um, providentially, actually, shortly after I got back, I got an email asking if I would help uh, start an in defense of Christians group um, in the archdiocese. Because it's, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's its a group that does a lot of religious as well as political um, advocacy, you know, praying for and then lobbying for uh, persecuted Christians. So it's a very nice kind of dovetail to the the graces. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, uh, I look at this situation and specifically you have that experience there where, where Iraqi uh, Christianity has is, is largely been eradicated. You know, now they're around, but they're they're exiles. They're living uh, in other countries, and we're seeing this happen uh, in in other countries. And in Turkey, there's a new uh, push to push Christian people out of their spaces. Uh, we've seen this in Syria with their ongoing conflict, and and I think that we can so easily get overwhelmed by the amount of of pain that we see in in the news that we forget and we shut it down and we're like you know I just I really can't pay attention to this anymore how do we as christians respond uh, appropriately to the suffering of of others whether it be syrians or iraqis in a significant way and yet in a way that that doesn't leave us completely numb and overwhelmed yeah, I think that's a great question, because I think especially in the age of social media, it's very easy. You know, all the problems of the world are right there at your doorstep mm-hmm. and you can just become overwhelmed by it. And, you know, there's that, that line that's ascribed to Joseph Stalin, that one death is a tragedy and a million is a, st- a statistic. And so you can ironically sort of become numb to the pain of others just by the sheer weight and the, the sheer kind of breadth of it. Um, I mentioned indefensive Christians before. They have a really good solution to this problem, in my view. They adopt particular parishes. So like maybe your parish will adopt a parish in Iraq or like a monastery, and you'll just pray for a particular group of a relatively small handful of people. And it really, it personalizes it. And you're praying for like specific concrete people whose lives are in danger. Um, and there's something very beautiful about that. So we're talking with Joe Heschmeyer, seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, about his experience at World Youth Day. So out of all of this, uh, you spent time over there with um, over a million people 
that had gathered from around the, the world and around Europe to, uh, to participate in this papal mass. Out of all of your experiences, what would you say is the most profound that, that has stuck with you and, and will shape the way you do ministry as you go into the priesthood? That's a good question. Um, I mentioned two big ones already with, you know, this whole encounter with seeing the power of prayer with this religious sister and seeing the universality of the church with the Iraqi Christians and the need to pray for the suffering church. But there was another incident, too. Um, I'd actually stopped with a group to take a picture. And there was a girl who I didn't recognize from our group. And it turned out she wasn't from our group. Um, She had just gotten confirmed. She was 28 years old. So I started to ask her, you know, why did you just get confirmed like a year ago? And she told me a little bit about her, her life story. And without revealing too much, basically, she wanted to grow in her faith. She felt uh, the presence of the love of God and got confirmed because she wanted to grow in religion and had grown up Catholic. And so she thought this was the way to do it. But she didn't, like, in terms of the kerygma, in terms of having any kind of catechesis, none. I mean, she didn't know, was Jesus Lord or was he just mentally ill? She didn't know if miracles were real, like any of those things. And so for two hours, we walked together as we were going to this, this vigil and just sort of had this opportunity to hopefully break up in the word a little bit for her. Um, and at the end, she was like, well, you know, this was great. I just wish there were more young Catholics that I knew, you know, by where I live. And I said, well, where do you live? And she tells me, it's, it's you know, the outskirts of Detroit. And as it happened, providentially, earlier this summer, I was visiting uh, friends of mine who were good Catholics that are almost the exact same age as her, not far from where she lives in the outskirts of Detroit. And got to know other good Catholics when we were there. And so it was just, it was great. As soon as I got Wi-Fi, I was able to send an email and kind of set them up and kind of put them in touch with one another. And it was a good reminder of both um, people's hunger for God, because she was so obviously hungry to know the truth about Jesus Christ. And she wanted to, like she'd gone to Poland to get to know Jesus. Right. And the way that God provides for that. I mean, just the fact that she should happen to be, uh, you know, run into me right after I just spent the summer in the, like, the same place she needed to find good Catholics. And the way all of it lined up in a way that was all outside of my control um, mm-hmm. was so beautiful and so kind of, you could kind of see the hand of God at work. Well, I think that there's something to that uh, at another level as well, and that's that we have to be at all times aware and ready because God's setting up these encounters all the time. The question is whether or not we're going to take the time to, hey, there's someone new in my group. I, I don't recognize them. Let me engage them instead of scowling at them and saying, why are you following us around? It's so easy to get so caught up in our own lives uh, that either we completely miss another person or we're bothered that they would dare to take time away from us. Yeah. You know, one thing that strikes, that strikes me, when you talk to people about their conversion story, about what brought them into the faith, they're always individual, and yet, almost without fail, someone they met was Catholic and cared about being Catholic and wanted them to be Catholic and loved them. Maybe that person didn't have all the theological answers. Maybe, you know, they didn't have the the most clear faith. Maybe they had their own problems, whatever it was. But those things didn't hinder them from openly loving people and sharing the faith as they experienced it with their non-Catholic We've been talking with Joe Heschmeyer, seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, about his experiences at World Youth Day. Joe, thanks for being here. Absolutely, my pleasure. We'll be right back with much more right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Listen, if you're not following me on Facebook, you are missing out. If you are in the sound of my voice and you're downloading the podcast or you're listening live on the stream on Breadbox Media, or, or if you're listening on the Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting Network anywhere out there, if you're listening and you have not yet found my page on Facebook, I mean, this is almost worth, if you don't have a Facebook, this is almost worth just going and signing up for Facebook just, just so you can friend me right? Uh, Facebook.com slash step outside the walls. You can also get to uh, the stuff from my blog by going to uh, Facebook.com slash Timothy Putnam, because I like to make things difficult to remember, right? Slash Timothy Putnam. Uh, and uh, if you if you want to see the more, uh, le- <laughs> I was going to say more personal stuff, but I'd say less filtered stuff, uh, you can actually friend me. Go ahead. Go to uh, facebook.com slash Timothy L. Putnam. That's my middle initial. See, I like to make things difficult. And uh, gosh, you just never know what you're going to see. I'll probably make you mad once or twice, but that's, I think, my job, right? Uh, to, uh, to push the boundaries and, and help us all maybe look at things from a different perspective than we are used to looking at things. So uh, by all means, please come on over. Like the page on Facebook, uh, outside the walls slash step outside the walls. Um, find me, and we'll have a grand old time and conversation. But you're going to miss out on so much if you don't have that. Because I, when I talk about, uh, you know, I talked about a blog specifically today, uh, the six graces that Joe Heschmeyer received and spoke about uh, from his World Youth Day. We only got to three of them today. Really, probably, yeah, maybe two and a half. Uh, So there are more, and you can get to those by going to my social media, clicking the link, and bada-bing, there you go. Uh, You also are missing out on on videos. Not just cat videos, mind you. No, no, I mean, like, I I do videos right here from Studio D. I've started to do those. Uh, Studio D, by the way, is a little home studio that is in my own home rather than one of the three studios at the Breadbox Media uh, palatial compound. Uh, so yeah, right here from studio D I've got a little lovely picture of our lady of Chestahova, another Polish, uh, connection. Uh, I've got my, my crucifix, my, uh, St. Clement crucifix. Uh, you know, this is, this is, uh, this is the place to be. So if you want to get in on those videos, that's another thing. You've got to go over to social media. Can't get it any other way over on Twitter. You can find me at, uh, at Outside the Walls. So I hope that if you are listening to the sound of my voice, you will take the 10 to 15 seconds that it will take you to log into your social media account. Find me, like the page, friend me, follow me. I don't care. I don't care. I love the interaction I get from uh, the community that has been built up there, and I would love to add your voice to that. So uh, we're talking today about a great many things. But today is the feast day, August 20th here, of, uh, of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He shares the distinction with St. Augustine of being one of the, the two saints, I think only two, that I continually have to remind myself have to prop- how to properly pronounce their names, right? Because, you know, you've got St. Augustine Grass, St. Augustine, Florida, but no, 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 it's Augustine. And then you've got the dog, right? The St. Bernard, but no. It's St. Bernard, 
and I, I continually forget it. And in, in a single sentence, I might say it both ways. Uh, so, but it is his feast day, and I'm rather fond of him. So, in a moment, we're going to do a reading of his, which is going to tie into what Joe was talking about in the last segment about being willing to love. Right? That the, that's when people come into the church. Generally, it's because there was a person who was willing to love. Uh, and willing to be Catholic and want to see that other person Catholic. So we're going to do a reading on love from St. Bernard here in just a moment. We got the readings from today's scriptures, and uh, some of them are uh, not exactly the direction that that we want to go here. Uh, by all means, go read them. I get to it through, uh, through the USCCB website, usccb.org slash Bible. They've got a little calendar there over on the right-hand side, and if you click on the date, it'll pull up the readings for the day. Uh, Today, I want to read to you uh, the responsorial psalm. We haven't done that in a while. We've gone back and forth between the gospel and the the first reading. But today, today I want to go to the psalm. It's Psalm 85. We're not going to do the responses. I'll read it to you once. Uh, But then I want you to hear uh, the word of the Lord, but I want you to hear specifically what this psalmist says out of Psalm 85. And the response would be, the glory of the Lord will dwell in our land. I will hear what God proclaims, the Lord, for he proclaims peace. Near indeed is his salvation to those who fear him, glory dwelling in our land. Kindness and truth shall meet, justice and peace shall kiss. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and justice shall look down from the heaven. The Lord himself will give his benefits. Our land shall yield its increase. Justice shall walk before him, and the salvation along the way of his steps. That comes from Psalm 85. And one of the things I love throughout Scripture is you'll see these pairings of concepts that we generally would think to be uh, antithetical to one another. And they're put together as if they belong together perfectly, right? Kindness and truth. So often we get so caught up in being true that we forget to be kind. And if you doubt me, spend any amount of time on social media and you'll watch it. You'll see it. Go read five comments on any YouTube video. You'll see it, right? We get so caught up in what we perceive to be true that we have no time for kindness. Now, this is counteracted by another group of people who are so caught up in being kind in all things and never stirring the waters that they compromise truth. But kindness and truth shall meet, and really they belong together. They belong together for us to be able to to speak the truth in a way that doesn't add extra offense. Some people are just offended by truth, and that's all there is to it. But we shouldn't add offense to that, right? Justice and peace shall kiss. We tend to think of justice, and I've experienced this a lot in my own life recently. We we think of justice as vengeance, and we don't think of vengeance and peace being anywhere near one another. But justice is so much more than that. And so uh, those are the things that stood out to me today, and I hope that they resonate with you. I want to read to you in a little bit of time we have left uh, this beautiful reading from St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Love is sufficient of itself. It gives pleasure by itself and because of itself. It is its own merit, its own reward. 
Love looks for no cause outside itself, no effect beyond itself. Its profit lies in its practice. I love because I love. I love that I may love. Love is a great thing so long as it continually returns to its fountainhead, flows back to its source, always drawing from there the water which constantly replenishes it. Of all the movements, sensations, and feelings of the soul, love is the only one in which the creature can respond to the creator and make some sort of similar return, however unequal though it be. For when God loves, all he desires is to be loved in return. The sole purpose of his love is to be loved, in the knowledge that those who love him are made happy by their love of him. The bridegroom's love, or or rather the love which is the bridegroom, asks in return nothing but faithful love. Let the beloved then love in return. Should not a bride love, and above all, love's bride? Could it be that love not be loved? Rightly then does she give up all other feelings, and give herself wholly to love alone. In giving love back, all she can do is respond to love. And when she has poured out her whole being in love, what is that in comparison to the unceasing torrent of that original source? Clearly, lover and love, soul and word, bride and bridegroom, creature and creator, do not flow with the same volume. One might as well equate a thirsty man with a fountain. But then of the bride's hope, her aching desire, her passionate love, her confident assurance— Is all this to wilt just because she cannot match stride for stride with her giant any more than she can vie with honey for sweetness, rival the lamb for gentleness, show herself as white as the lily, burn as bright as the sun, be equal in love with him who is love? No. It is true that the creature loves less because she is less. But if she loves with her whole being, nothing is lacking where everything is given. To love so ardently, then, is to share the marriage bond. She cannot love so much and not be totally loved. And it is in the perfect union of two hearts that complete and total marriage consists. Or are we to doubt that the soul is loved by the word first and with a greater love? Of course, the answer to that is no, we're not to doubt it at all. And we hear this often in Scripture. We hear it again in this talk, this Uh, picture of marriage, not so much pointing to marriage itself, but pointing to us and our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are so totally loved by God. You are so totally loved by God that the only appropriate response is to love in return. And we love him and we love his people. After all, as Christ told his own disciples, they'll know that we are Christians by the love we have for one another. That's all the time we have this week. Find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. I want to see you there. Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio, heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.